Well, good morning. Yeah, welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park, where we are disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. I'm Pastor Aaron, and I'm glad that you're with me today. It's going to be starting our new series, Following Jesus, because being a disciple of Jesus means we follow after him. So this summer, we're going to be going through the four Gospels and uh, following Jesus along. What did he do? What did he teach? What did he say? So we will know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I'm pretty excited to be part of that. Before I begin, a couple small things. Hopefully when you came in, you got uh, a, a uh, bulletin on the inside of that. There is going to be a green connection card. If you wouldn't mind, just take that out and uh, fill that out for me. I would be appreciative. Let's me know that you were here and how I can be praying for you. And at the end of the, the message or the service, you can drop that in the back room in that box back there. If you're our guest here today, maybe your first or your second time with us, a special welcome to you. We love having you. We invite you just to fill out whatever you feel comfortable filling out as well just lets us know to be able to pray for you this week and along with everyone else at the end of the message you can drop that in the offering basket out of the box at the back of the service all right two other things for for housekeeping actually i will make that three because why not uh the first one this is a special day because we have uh two services today as you uh, which is fantastic now that we can have more people in our room so we're going to two which means yay which is awesome, which means that uh, we have our middle service, which is our next hour is going to be our Sunday school or our Bible study service, which uh, Caleb Ross, who is our resident uh, intern, he's a Bible college graduate, and he's going in ministry and all things, he's put together a great Bible study through the book of Acts, and not just studying the book of Acts, but he'll be teaching us how to study the Bible as we go through the book of Acts. So we'll be doing that next hour. And I invite you to stay for that. Second off is uh, our ladies' Bible study has had a last-minute change of venue. And so I'm going to ask Carol. Yes. I am really sorry. Both of you could have signed up with just check your I will be, I will absolutely do that. Yeah, and if you could show up the other place, that would be a surprise for the other person. So that'll be awesome. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have it posted and emailed out as well. And last one, uh, is, of course, with staffing, you know that we're bringing Jesse in coming at the end of the month, and we've, uh, which is fantastic. And uh, but also, uh, we've also had a need with youth. Uh, you know that we've for a long time uh, supported the Hub Youth Ministry, which is a community youth ministry in Estes Park, and that's run its course. And uh, so we have this opportunity, this need for youth ministry in our church. And so. Uh, we looked far and wide. We're like, well, well what are we going to do with this? We have pastors, the elders, we prayed about this. We talked. And you know, there's a person in our church who was already serving in the youth ministry, uh, worked alongside with, uh, with Zach, but actually was kind of the hub for the hub, uh, ran all of the, the connecting things behind the scenes, did all of that great stuff. And, uh, and so we're like, you know what? Uh, already has the heart for youth ministry, already knows the kids, already has a connection with this. How blessed are we as a church to have that? So we decide we're going to raise her up, and uh, so we have decided we're bringing Carissa on in addition to her office administrator roles and duties. We're adding to that she's going to be our director for youth ministry programming here at the church. And so, Carissa, we're going to pray for you, and, and we're going to point you for this great ministry. Now, she's going to need some help with this, so she'll probably tap some of you on the shoulder for that. We want to, but 
as a church, it's important that if we've raised her up with, with this responsibility, we also pray and bless her in this. So let's just pray God's uh, anointing blessing for this ministry. Father God, we thank you for Carissa and for her amazing heart for youth. Lord, she is a disciple of yours and she follows after you. We pray now that you would give her uh, your anointing, your ideas, your wisdom, your direction. Father, a support from this congregation as well. Raise up supporting members. But Father, we pray that you would uh, bless the youth and, and the ministry of the youth through her and through her good leadership. And Father, we pray in that as well for our youth, that they would be not just entertained, that they would not come just to have a light faith, but Father, they would grow as true disciples of Christ uh, in this church, as part of this church family. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thank you. One of the greatest things it is as a church to be able to raise up people from inside the church and to see them flourish and grow, and and what a great thing that is. You know, um, one of the things that Carissa does and blows my mind, it's so foreign to me, but you've heard of social media, some of you, (laughs) right? I can't do it, uh, so, but uh, it's on there, and uh, a lot of people do that, and, and in that we're in a world now, part of social media is you try to get followers. You ever notice that? That's like the big thing, like how many followers people have. They become huge social influencers. It's the word that they have, and whoever has the most followers, they're a bigger social influence or whatever, then they have you know, more authority or whatever in our culture and all this. Well, I want to introduce you today to somebody who's has the, is the greatest social influencer in all of history, all of human history, right? Has influenced every continent, influenced every single culture, is, is, has more followers by the billions than anybody else that's on the internet, right? And is a, the greatest of all, if we want to talk about who's going to be the, do you want to follow somebody? Do you want to see who, who makes a difference? That is Jesus. And that's whom we are going to be talking about this summer. And we're following him. Now, Jesus did say something about being his follower. In fact, being a follower of Jesus means that we're going to be a disciple of his. And this is going to be our memory verse for the series. And it's uh, right here, Matthew 16, 24. It's the gospel of Matthew. And this is what Jesus says to disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, it's not just clicking a like button because Jesus didn't come to be liked. He came to make followers, disciples. He came to change the world. And as we follow Jesus, let's not go back into the thinking, well, okay, this is going to be an interesting series that I learned some academic things about Jesus. No, he wants to change our world and your life. And if you want to follow him, it's more than just liking him because he's going to say things you don't like. But he's going to do amazing things that you could never do. So that's why this is our memory verse for this series. Let's remember whom we are following and what it means to follow him. So here's how we're going to say it. Uh, Just say it along with me, and then we'll get into the rest of the message. So here we go. Three, two, one. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Oh, you sound awesome. Again. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. All right, one more time and we'll test ourselves. Here we go. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Let's test ourselves. Then Jesus said to his disciples, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must take themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Clearly, I have some practice on this. I know you all do. It's a long summer. So to help you with that, on your connection card, there is a Bible memory verse card that we perforated. You can take that with you. Remind yourself of this. Now, oftentimes, I think it's fascinating as a pastor, I see people... Uh, as they start to follow Jesus, they want to be a Christian, or whatever, shocked that it's going to cost them something. Shocked that following Jesus actually means we have to deny ourselves, that there's some portion of that, that if you're going to walk into life, there's something that we have to walk past ourselves, right? I want you to know at the very beginning, the life in Christ is the richest, most powerful, most amazing life there ever is you could possibly live. But I don't want you to be shocked that if you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be a cost to it. Now, is it worth it? Well, Let's talk about that. Who is Jesus? Why would we deny ourselves? Because that's not a natural thing for people to do, right? Why would we pick up our cross and follow him, right? When there's so many other wonderful people in this world that we could just like and we could soft follow, right? Why is it that we, we, we would deny ourselves, that we would actually choose to have sacrifice in our life to follow this guy? Why? Well, I think it has to do with who. Who is Jesus? And who he is makes all of the difference, Right? And uh, how do we know who Jesus is? Well, we have stories about him. They're called the Gospels. There's four of them in your Bible. So it's in the New Testament. That's the New Testament is kind of after Jesus came, he fulfilled all of the, the covenants, everything in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Now there's a New Testament. There's a new way, a new covenant that God had brought in. The New Testament talks about that. And it starts with the four Gospels. Those are the four stories of Jesus' life that were recorded. They're inspired by God's Holy Spirit, but they're written by four very important individuals. And each Gospel tells the same story, but from a different lens. And there's a reason that God has decided to have four Gospels in there, right? Because there's important things we need to learn about Jesus' life. So let's talk about those four Gospels. The first one, if you go into your Bible, it's going to be the Gospel of Matthew, right? And the Gospel according to Matthew, he was a, Matthew was a Jewish man. He was a tax collector, and he was a follower of Jesus. So in our current age, there are a lot of books and things that are being sold now about people who are saying what Jesus was like according to what our 21st century ideas of what Jesus must have said and what he might not have said and all these things. Well, Matthew was actually there. Matthew actually lived with Jesus, heard his teaching, followed him, right? And Matthew had his life massively transformed in following Jesus. Matthew wasn't just a Jewish man. He was a tax collector, which was kind of not really liked, like, we don't particularly like the IRS, but they really didn't like the tax collectors as far as the Jewish people because they figured they were kind of like traitors, right? And sometimes not so honest. And Jesus comes into Matthew's life, and Matthew finds his Messiah. And he takes up his cross and denies himself. Instead of having this life of wealth and having everything else like it was just kind of planned out for him, he he leaves everything to follow Jesus. He is fully committed. This is the gospel that we have. Now, the theme of the gospel of Matthew is this, is that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, the Messiah is a very special individual that God has in the Old Covenant as authorized to be the Savior of his people. Right? Not just anybody could show up and be the Messiah. There's over 300 prophecies as to who the Messiah was going to be. There's God's authorized Savior. Right? And it, and Matthew, being a Jewish man and, and all of this, he spends his gospel really going into detail showing how Jesus is legitimate Messiah of God. 
This is not some you know, fly-by-night Savior who comes in. No, Jesus was planned by God, and Matthew goes in and tells us exactly. This is the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. That's why Matthew comes right after the Old Testament. Right? It's the great tie between the two. Matthew is great for folks who understand the Old Testament, who have read it before, maybe understand some of the prophecies and things like this. If you want to see how Jesus is legitimately the Messiah, Matthew's there. A lot of detail in Matthew on that. Matthew is also great for people who have no idea what the Old Covenant is, the Old Testament is, and would like to have some idea of the context of, of who Jesus is. And that's why we read the Gospel of Matthew. Next to Matthew is a very great gospel is the Gospel of Mark, probably the first one written. Now, Mark was written by John Mark, who was uh, uh, the book of Acts. He was a, a young man was from, from some wealth. He uh, was a follower of Jesus. He went on a missions trip with, uh, with Paul. It didn't go so well because he kind of chickened out. And then uh, later on, he ends up getting to be able to write the Gospel of Mark. Now, Mark was also... In that time, things didn't work out so great with between him and Paul, but him and Peter worked really well. And he was the disciple of the Apostle Peter. And so we have the Gospel of Mark as really Apostle Peter's recollections and as Peter remembers the story of what happened, right? What, what did Jesus do? What did he teach? This is the Gospel of Mark, right? And because of that, the theme of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus is king, Right, in the Gospel of Mark, you're going to see Jesus' authority being shown over and over and over again. Now, some commentators would say, yes, but it's also suffering servant, right? That Jesus suffers and things like this. And that is true. You'll see that in there, how Jesus is a king who lays his life down for us. But you're going to see in the Gospel of Mark, over and over again, Jesus has authority over all kinds of things. Authority over sickness, authority over demons, authority over uh, people on this earth, authority over the law. He has authority over all things. He is king. Now, the cool thing about the Gospel of Mark is it was the first one probably that was written, and it was written in such a way as to be memorized. And I know that's shocking to us because we have a hard time memorizing one passage. But in the day that the Gospel was written, it was mostly a, 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 a culture that... Uh, that things were passed on through story and by just memorizing uh, things, right? And so it was a it was an oratory society. So what we have is uh, the Gospel of Mark was written in a way to be memorized and to be able to be told, right? To be shared. It was the it was written to go viral. That was the idea. So by word of mouth, people could know exactly what Jesus did, what he said, which is why. The Gospel of Mark, most likely, has been the foundation for the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. It, it's, it sets a kind of the, the basis of where those other Gospels begin to expound upon. It's an incredible story. So if you want to get the bullet points of what Jesus did, Gospel of Mark, it's a great place to go. Then we have the Gospel of Luke. That comes next. It's the longest of the Gospels. It was written by the only Gentile to write them. Luke was not a disciple of Jesus on the first, uh, he didn't follow Jesus when Jesus lived on this earth. Why? Because he was a Gentile. Right? He wasn't even there. He was a doctor. He uh, was a convert from the Apostle uh, Paul's ministries. Right. So he was a disciple of the Apostle Paul. But Luke uh, sees the world as a Greek person, as a Gentile does. Right, his concept of time and how things work together. The whole concept of Messiah was brand new to Luke. This was not something that he was, you know, grew up with. So he has, in the Gospel of Luke, he goes to explain who Jesus is to Gentiles like you and me. 
Right? And so he takes the, the, the story. Well, how does Luke go through it? He wants to make sure if he's going to be taking up his cross and following Jesus, he wants to make sure it's legitimate. Like, what does it even mean to be Messiah? How do we know Jesus did these things? And so how does Luke do it? He tells you right in the beginning of his gospel. He says that he took careful account to go and to, make, to interview all of the people. So Luke goes back and he talks to Mary and he talks to Peter and he talks to Thomas and he talks to, you know, the, uh, the folks that were raised from the dead and he talks to the lepers who were healed and he interviews them and he makes a very careful account to say, did Jesus really do these things? Did he do these miracles? And he validates and verifies them for us. Gospel of Luke is, is a wonderful uh, uh, gospel that helps us know and understand who Jesus is and to know that he is real. And the theme of, of it is that Jesus is our Savior, and he's not just a Savior, he's a Savior for all humankind. He's not just a Jewish Messiah, he is the Messiah of God's Messiah for humanity. And you're going to see that over and over and over again, how Jesus comes to save. And then we have the last of the four Gospels is the Gospel according to John, right? And this was, the, John was the Jesus's one of his closest disciples. He had kind of an inner three that they were the, the, not that he didn't love all the rest of them, but there was some that he just connected with a little bit more. And John was the youngest of them and he connected a lot with Jesus. John, I think of all the four apostles, I'm probably the most like him. He was called a son of thunder. He had a lot of passion that needed to be, you know, harnessed and directed to good things, right? But he got to later in his life be known as the apostle of great compassion and love. I think that's phenomenal that God can do anything, right? But there's John, right? And John was the, he wrote his gospel decades after the other ones, right? So he doesn't expound upon Mark's gospel. Where, where Mark had his gospel and people memorized it and the church began to know it. And Matthew's like, I'm going to fill in some blanks. This is how we know Jesus is the Messiah. Luke takes that as the base and says, All right, I'm going to build from this and show you what, how Jesus is our Savior. John, the gospel's already out there. So he does is he takes the gospel and he shows new things that are just, uh, most of the bo- bo- gospel of John is not found anywhere else. It's, it's phenomenal. And his theme in the Gospel of John, John is there to let us know that Jesus is God. He focuses on the events in Jesus' life and the teachings that Jesus did that really point to his divinity, which is a huge question that a lot of people in our current culture have. Was Jesus just a good teacher or was he something different? If you want to see and talk about how we know Jesus is God, the Gospel of John is where we go. And speaking of the Gospel of John, let's just turn to it. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. Because this is where we have the very beginning of, of the story. Now, each gospel starts a different place according to what the purpose of the gospel is. So like for Matthew, who's talking about Jesus as the Messiah, Matthew kind of begins with Abraham, right? How Jesus was legitimately through, you know, through the tribe of Israel and how he was the Messiah, right? You have Luke starts all the way back at the beginning of time, mostly, right, with Adam and Eve, but, but he also... His story begins with the birth narrative. How did Jesus come to earth? How was he born, right? You have uh, Mark starts really with, with the baptism of Jesus. How did his ministry start, right? But John starts at the very, very beginning of all things, right? I, I love how, how he, he begins this. And if you wouldn't mind, just read with me, starting in verse 1. We're going to go, with, I think, to verse 13, but it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 
That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to all who believed in the name, in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Amazing beginning. I I think we find that who is Jesus as, as we start in this gospel, who is one that is worthy for us to take up our cross and deny ourselves? Why would we follow this guy? Who is Jesus? He is God. In the beginning was the word, and that's the Greek word logos, and the concept of the Greek mind and the, the time logos was, was that, that, that fundamental truth that binds all things, right? It's the reality behind reality. And he's saying that this is Jesus. He's the uncreated. He is God. This, to know God is really why religion exists, right? This is a reason why there's religion in every culture in the world, right? Because people have this deep, intrinsic knowledge that God is real, right? And we have this desire to know. Just like we don't have to learn how to be thirsty, right? You were thirsty because there's something out there. There's water that we need to survive, right? And no one taught you in your life, well, you need to be thirsty so you can drink some water. All humans have this thirst for God. It's it's built into us. Why? Because God exists. That's why there's religion in every single culture, everywhere. And religion is this this hunger, this thirst for God, this, this reaching out and trying to find who God is. The most amazing thing is that, that God didn't hide himself. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, but God came to us. God revealed Himself to us. Jesus is the answer to all religion. It's it's the answer to all human hearts, our longing. Where most religion, almost all of it, are people coming up with ideas who God must be, how we think He must be, based upon what we see. Jesus is the, is the artist himself. He comes out and reveals himself. This is who I am. How phenomenal. And so he is God. And because he is God, as God, there are some things that are, are true about Jesus. First is he's not created. Because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And it reminds us of that first in the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Before anything else existed, there was already God. Jesus is there. See, I think some people misunderstand Jesus and they think the totality of who Jesus is can be summed up of when starts when he was born, right? And maybe ends, you know, when he dies or maybe he's resurrected or whatever, but he's somehow like us where he has a beginning even if he doesn't have an end. This is not Jesus. He is not like us. He is wholly different. He's not created. He has no beginning. He is the ancient of days. Right? When Jesus came and he taught his people, it wasn't just ideas and things that he picked up in his 33 years on earth. It was the eternal truths that are deep within him because of who 
he is. Jesus is self-existent. He wasn't dependent upon a parent or anybody else to bring him into the world because he already existed before he had a body. He is eternal. He's never going to wear out. Not only is he not created, he is the creator. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, right? We start with that, but then it says that all things were created through him, and nothing that has been created was created without him. Now, are you a thing? Well, you're a noun. Right? You exist. You were created. And who made you? Jesus. See, he is the creator. He didn't just own this world. He made this world. Now, if I make something, I have a pretty good idea of how I think it should operate, right? How it's supposed to work. Because I created it. God made this world. When Jesus tells us how to live our lives, do you think he has maybe an idea of how things were supposed to work? How, how they most optimally run? Yeah. Now, how about this? If I make something, it is mine. Right? Especially now in the days of content rights management, right? Where you write something down and all of a sudden now it's copyrighted forever and ever, amen, and somebody uses it, you can sue them, right? It's yours, but if it's yours, then you can do whatever you want with it. God made you. You are his idea, which is phenomenal. That in the brilliant mind of God, he decided he was going to make you. In your context, in your day and age, that he made you. He made us. And he has the right to do with us whatever he pleases, because he made us. He made this world. Right? All things are under his authority. He owns all things. Another good reason to follow him. He actually has authority. Something else that we find out about Jesus is he's the source of life. It says, in him was the light of all mankind, right? And that light was life. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't overcome it. Why do we follow Jesus? Because that's where life is. Jesus said later on, and we're going to get through some of these passages later on in this series, but one of the things he says is that he is the vine, and we're like branches. Right? Have you ever had trees in your yard, you had to cut off the branch? And you cut off that branch because it needs to go, and then it, it's cut off, and it looks alive for a while, but eventually it just dries out and becomes brown, and it dies. Right? Because the branch isn't where the life is found, it's just where it's shown. Right? Well, Jesus is the life. He's, when we are disconnected from him, we may look alive for a while, but we surely die. But when we're connected to him, we look alive because we are alive. It's where his life is shown in us and through us. Now, the crazy thing is, is it says that because of sin, because we've all walked away from God, we've all cut ourselves off from that. The cool thing is, Jesus invites us to be reconnected so that we can be made alive again. And let's be sure of this. There is no other place that you're going to find life. And we can connect a, a tree branch to a fire hydrant, but it's not going to make it alive. We can connect it to the side of a building. I could put it on a poster. I could put it anywhere. But if I don't connect it back to the tree, it's going to die. Jesus is the source of life. Why follow him? Because this is where life is. He is the author and the giver of life. Something else about Jesus we find is he's invincible. You're not going to topple him. What it says here, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
And he goes on to explain that a little deeper. He said he came to that which is own, and they, the world he created, and we rejected him, that which is own, and they didn't get it, right? They killed him. But guess what? He's back. Jesus is invincible. Humanity tried to topple God. If you have any questions about kind of what I'm talking about that, there was a series we did last month, right? The purpose of, of life on earth, the purpose of heaven and earth, the purpose of the new heaven and new earth. I encourage you to see that. But I want you to see that the really we can't destroy God. That was what humans tried to do. It's what we continue to try to do, and it's not going to work. Jesus is coming back. He's King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the eternal one that is to be praised forever. And here's the thing. You're not going to beat him. And so I remember when I was a young man, my dad said something. He said, Aaron, if you can't beat him, join him. And then he said, don't really. Uh, that's not always good advice. But in this case, it truly is. Why would you fight against God? Especially when God has such great terms, gracious terms, for us to come and to follow him in fact those terms teach us that something else is that jesus is messiah something else we pick up from this passage here we follow jesus not just because he's god but he is the authorized savior of god right it says that that uh, the prophets would validate him john the baptist when it says here there was a man named sent from god whose name was john he's not talking about himself john he's talking about john the baptist Right? And some people in their construed thinking at the time thought John the Baptist must have been like a Messiah person. But John the Baptist died and stayed in the grave. But John the Baptist was a prophet. In fact, even Jesus validates that. He says he's the greatest of all the prophets. Right? But it wasn't just John the Baptist. There are all the prophets that point to Jesus. Over 300 prophecies alone just talking about Jesus, who he is. The prophets themselves testify, point to, Jesus is the Messiah. And these are like specific, these are like Nostradamus prophecies. Like, you know, there will be a guy that has hair and he's the Messiah, whatever. And you're like, oh, Jesus has hair. It's not that. Specific things. He's going to be born in this tiny little hamlet of a town. He's going to be, he's gonna be a, a, a descendant of this particular family lineage. Right? He's going to die on a cross in this very specific way. He's going to be buried after he dies in a rich guy's tomb. He's going to raise from the dead. In fact, while he's on the cross, you're going to have Gentiles around him, which they call dogs. They're going to gamble for his clothes. Specific prophecies, over 300 of them, point to Jesus. See, Jesus is not just a teacher. It's not just that God showed up. God prepared in advance to bring Jesus as a Savior. It's why Jesus says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. If we want to know who Jesus is, we understand that he's God, but he's invited us to know him as our Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the evidence that God has not come to destroy us. In verse 12, we read, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, get this, he gave the right to become the children of God. If that doesn't blow your mind, that whoever you were, whatever family you were born into, wherever you drew your identity from, it does not matter any longer once you come to Jesus because now you are a new creation. You are a new person. You have a new identity. You are God's child. And only Jesus can do this. 
This is why Jesus demands more than us just to like him. He's teaching us a new life. Some of the worst parents in the world are the parents that just want their kids to like them. And they do everything in their world to make their, par- their, you know, their kids just be their buddies. right? And those kids end up eventually disrespecting and oftentimes hating their parents. right? Jesus is God. And he came into our life to teach us a better way. And good parents do something for their kids called discipline, not punishment. Parents don't punish their kids. We don't make them suffer because they were bad. We lift them up to become better. That's what discipline is. And Jesus came that we could not just like him, but that we could be his children, that he could discipline us, raise us up, which is why we are called disciples, which comes from that very same word, discipline. Then when you follow Jesus, the reason he says you have to take up your cross and deny yourself is because he wants you to get rid of the dead, dumb way of living that has been dragging you down for too long. You have a new identity in him. You have a better hope, a better future, and he's going to draw you up into an elevation of, of life and of identity and of personhood that you could never have attained on your own. You will be his disciple. And so we don't just subscribe to his teachings. We don't just go all around and say, well, I like what Jesus said and did. No, no. If I'm going to follow Jesus, there are going to be things that I'm going to have to die to myself. He's going to have morals and ethics and teachings and ask me to do stuff that I don't want to do. But in doing so and following him, he is raising me up. And so he says, follow me. And so why follow Jesus? Because he is God. I think that alone would be enough. But we have something better. We don't just have an Allah on the throne somewhere. We have a God who came to this earth to be our Messiah, our Savior. And so we follow him because he is our God and he is our Messiah. He is the only one who can save. Matthew 16, 24 then says to his disciples, anyone wants to be a disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So Jesus invites us, and I'll notice he's talking to, he says to his disciples. He says, I want you to understand, if you want to be my follower, you need to be my follower. Jesus isn't going to follow you. He's not going to follow you. You can do anything you want in your life, and Jesus gives you the freedom to do that, but if you want to live the elevated life, you want to live the better life, you want to have a life where God transforms you and changes you, follow him. And understand this, it's going to take some cost. So this summer, I would not be shocked if there's going to be some conviction that God brings into our lives when we read Jesus' teachings, and it's going to be like, well, here's something that I've been doing that I don't need to do. Here's a new way I've got to live that I haven't been living. Good! That means that he's growing you. So be willing to take up your cross and follow him. It is the way to true life. It is the way to have communion with God. So how do you apply this? I know it's a deep message, right? There's a lot of theology in it. Well, here's some things you can do on the back of your connection card, some ways that you can begin to apply this truth, these, these things into your life. How about the first one? Attend church this summer. How can you follow Jesus if you don't even know what he says? And you know what? He commanded us to be together. And guess what? You already got a head start. You're already here. So praise God, and we will add more seats next Sunday. I promise. That's going to be awesome. So here's the thing. Be here. Let's be here together, and let's follow Jesus in community as he designed us to do it. Also this. I'm going to encourage you. Why don't you join our Bible study? We have, uh, there's the Ladies Bible study, I think that's a great one. We're going to have the, the Sunday school that will be starting here with uh, pretty quickly, right as soon as I'm done talking. We'll, uh, we'll get to start with that. Uh, but join Bible study. Learn how to study the Word so we can understand what it means to follow Jesus. And let's do that together. Also, why don't you read John chapter 1? 
In fact, if you want to, read all the Gospel of John because it's a great Gospel. But if just read God, John chapter 1, the very beginning, who God is and, and Christ, like how he's revealed himself to us. Take some time with God's Word and read it for yourself. Also, I encourage you, why don't you memorize Matthew 16, 24. I want you to understand from the very beginning, Jesus did not, he wasn't uh, trying to just like trick us to say, okay, I'm going to do all these great things for you. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have to you know, deny yourself. No, he's very clear about it. There's going to be a cost. And when that cost comes, I want the word of God to be able to remind you that you're not unique, that Jesus isn't just picking on you, that you are walking away from dead things to embrace real life. So would you memorize that passage with me this summer? I'll work on it this week, I promise. Would you join me? And all right. Well, hopefully all those gave you something to do. On your connection card, there's a place to write your prayer request. We do talk to God every week about you, and so I know how to pray for you. It does help. Uh, and then uh, at the end of this message, we're going to have a, a time of uh, commitment. Take your connection cards. Let me know what you committed to so I can be praying for you as you make those commitments as well this week. And then drop those off in the offering basket at the box at the back of the room. I'd appreciate that. All right, let me pray for you as you make these commitments. Let's pray now. Father God, we thank you that you did not abandon us, that you did not give us to, uh, over just to ourselves. But, and you didn't make us try to figure out who you were by just giving us random hints. But you showed up. You put on skin. You showed us exactly who you are. And you told us exactly what you want. And what you want is good. And the fact that you came not to destroy us, but to be our Savior, just shows your incredible love and heart. Lord, we want, to, we want to, to know you. We want to be your disciples. We want to be raised up above this, this dead way of living that humanity has taught us. We want to be your children and to live and act like your children, be loved like your children. And we thank you that uh, we're so grateful that in Christ all of those things are ours. So, Father, help us to walk in that truth. I pray this summer, this congregation, we get to know you and love you and, and follow you in, in a greater way. And, Father, in this, that, that you would be glorified, for you, you really deserve it. Father, take these commitments we make and the offerings that we're going to give, Father, and use them, bless them. Father, uh, multiply them to be, to be able to, to develop us and this church to be a blessing to this community, a light that shines in this darkness that cannot be overcome. We pray all of this in the powerful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.